You're tuned into the God Stories Radio Podcast. www.godstoriesradio.com. And welcome to God Stories Radio. This is session 38. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. Did you hear that? No Trish. Yes, no Trish. Trish is uh, studying for final exams tonight, so she couldn't be with us. Yeah, she felt that if she came here, she'd be uh, she'd blow her test or her term, so she, at the last minute, backed out. This is going to be a great podcast I think we've all been attacked this week in, in some way, and I'll let our guest Ken speak to that um, on his end, but uh, I know myself, uh, Aubrey got in a car accident today, bashed up our little Kermit. Oh, man, the Kermit's done. The Kermit. But uh, she was fine. Everything's going to work out. God had a hedge of protection around her, and mm-hmm. angels were there. and Just a little life lesson. Amen. How's your week been? Oh, unbelievable! After coming back from Wild at Boot Camp, uh, Advanced Boot Camp. Oh, I better not wind that up. No, That's uh, going to be session thirty-nine if I do. <laughs> oh my goodness! Riding all that I wave. Say. Oh boy, I'm still riding it. A week later. Well, we're not going to waste any time because this gentleman needs as much time as we can give him. This is an amazing testimony. I was fortunate to hear it at uh, Real Men, and mm. I'm going to let you introduce him, Mike. Okay, uh, Ken. I'm a cat. Ken a couple years ago at church and through other uh, people doing some work at his house and such like that. But the only thing that really stands out, Ken is the guy that rolls through the lobbies of real life at 50 miles an hour in his wheelchair. Do you have that thing souped up or what? Uh, I'm afraid I do. You do? <laughs> I, wouldn't I knew it, it, Mikey. I knew it. Maybe I knew a, it. a cam in that thing uh, or just, a turbo just, or something. True story. Uh, every year the... Uh, Veteran Department of Veterans has the uh, National Veterans Wheelchair Games. Over 800 athletes in wheelchairs compete in 27 sports. One of them is the 220 Power Electric Wheelchair Race. It's just like a 220 race. Uh, the manufacturer, which I won't mention their name, has given me the computer so I can override the factory settings. And so when most of them are going 7 or 8, I'm going about 12 or 16. <laughs> it seems like 50. So anyway, Ken... Uh, we Ken gave his testimony at uh, Real Men um, a few months ago, and uh, again, knowing Ken a little bit before that and hearing the testimony at two different sets, we're going to try to get it in on one set, and Ken, it's all yours. All right. Well, first of all, I just want to thank both of you for this opportunity uh, to tell you how Satan works. I think this is about our fourth or fifth time to yes, reschedule this. And he tried uh, again today, from what I understand. He tried it again today. Uh, I was at Department of Veterans Affairs for some appointments. Uh, missing that appointment, missing that appointment. Uh, so it's been it's been a challenge, and every time I do this, uh, I'm, I try to prepare myself for Satan's attacks. But all I can do is tell you they come, mm-hmm. and so just don't give in to them. We'd like to thank your sponsor IHOP for allowing you to skip away with the coffee mug tonight, so you could make it <laughs> yeah. on time. Yeah, I promise to take it back. Um, in reference to Mike's uh, 
speeding story, I, I got to tell you a true story. Uh, it, it humbles me, but uh, I was in Walmart right here in Claremont, and you know you're going too fast when the Walmart greeter tells you you have to slow down and follows you around in the store. So, true story. Um, my testimony is one I like to just uh, hope it would encourage you in a word of prayer, uh, hope you would encourage you in a word of uh, never give up, and more importantly, just a total dependency on God. Whatever your circumstances, situations are, uh, you find yourself in uh, good season, bad season, or indifference, but just totally rely on Jesus to carry you through through all things. And I think you'll hear some of that in my story. Um, and, and I still have struggles today, but knowing that you have Jesus there uh, sure does make it a lot easier than trying to do things on your own. Amen. Kind of began when I was about um, 13 months old, actually, uh, living in Newton, Kansas. Uh, I fell out of my bedroom window. I was a toddler and climbed up on the crib, and out I went. Uh, fell in a row of hedge bushes, which was a good thing because about a few feet to either direction, I would have fell down into the uh, concrete where the steps went into the storage uh, shelter for uh, tornadoes and things. So um, since that time, I've actually had a life of a lot of uh, emotional, physical, and uh Accidents have been prone. Um, I wonder sometimes people didn't even want to be around me. <laughs> but uh, pretty much after that, I, I went into high school, and there's not too much in, in between there. I grew up in a Christian home uh, in regards to my mom was a believer, and my grandmother was a believer, and pretty much my whole mom's side was was believers, Southern Baptist in the hills of Kentucky. My dad was raised Methodist, knew the Lord, but was not walking with the Lord at all. Um, but in high school, I was very, very rebellious. Um, you know, do things my way. You're not going to tell me how to do it. Uh, and a lot of performance was instilled in me at a younger age by my dad. It was taught that, you know, your life will be measured by success. And how successful you will will determine how well you perform. So a lot of performance driven in my life. And, um, you know, as long as I was going to to school and I was competing, I was very athletic in high school, competed in all four sports. Um, and as long as that was going great, my dad was always, good job, well done. Uh, if that wasn't going great, I didn't feel a lot of love and self-worth from that fatherhood. Um, but as, as things progressed on, um, I had plans to go to um, – to college in either basketball or football on a scholarship uh, there was one minor problem I didn't have the grades uh, I was not very um, academic uh, and um, in Alabama Kentucky if you're good in sports you don't really have to worry too much about school mm-hmm. uh, they seem to find some way to pass you right um, but the time got for for that and um, a lot of my friends um, quite a few of my friends did get the scholarships and so um my plan was to just um, take some junior college classes, get my grades up, and go on to school. Um, that lasted for about one semester, and, and I knew I was in uh, really bad trouble. And I was really angry at my sister. Um, when I was a senior in high school, uh, I was in an English class, and uh, my teacher started passing out our research papers. It was like the last one of the year. And I knew I always did pretty good enough to pass. And when this paper I received, it's, it's got a, a big F on it with a red pencil that says, <laughs> see me after class. 
and I'm, what's that about? So the class leaves, and I go up there, and and the teacher asked me, you know, do you know why you got an F? And I'm like, no, ma'am, not at all. She said, well, turn to such page and page, turn to search page, and I did, and I started reading it. And as I got through the middle of the paragraph, it said, hi, this is Debbie Weiss, Eddie's sister, and I just need to let you know that I wrote this paper, and I've written all of his papers. So wow. I know what I found in F, but my sister, I, I just want to mention that story because at that point, I realized somebody, first time in their life, stood up and said, you need to get control of your life. And it really was. I mean, it wasn't a huge thing, but it was a shaker that my sister actually loved me enough to help me see that I need to make some changes here. So I just share that because that was one starting point in my change in my life. Uh, it wasn't the dynamic one, but it was a starting one. So anyway, we got through that and um, and went on. And um, I wasn't doing well in the school. And again, the junior college wasn't working out. Uh, my dad was totally disappointed in me. Um, you know, I, I wasn't going to pursue that professional sporting career that he wanted. Um, I joined the Air Force. Um, I wanted to join the uh, Coast Guard, but the Air Force said, we can take you now, and that was good enough for me. So I signed up with them, and um, things got um, got pretty interesting at that point. I was not living with the Lord at all. Again, a good friend of mine had convinced me to move into a trailer park with him and six other uh, airmen. Our barracks were under renovation. The Air Force said, here's some money. Go live on your own. Moved into a trailer park. A good friend of mine had already married another young lady, and the word was in the trailer park that a new girl was in town. She was coming to visit. The six of us played odd or even to see who could go meet her first. Uh, I was the lucky winner. So I went over to buy a vacuum cleaner. Now, me and the five other guys hadn't vacuumed in probably a year. Uh so it was kind of a, a little bit of humor. So we thought it would stand up. Later in my later in my marriage, I found out from my wife that uh, they actually laughed at me when, when I left because they saw right through that. But I met Sue. We uh, immediately went out that night. Uh, she moved in with me that same night. Uh, we were married six weeks later, and we haven't departed each other's side for 35 years. Wow. Highly, highly don't recommend that. I have four children, and we have totally uh, shared that story with them. And uh, that's not the way you want to court and go into a marriage, trust me. Uh, my wife and I leave Two Becoming One, which is a marriage ministry at Real Life. I've taken it ten times. I don't think I need to say any more. <laughs> so after Sue and I were, uh, were buried, shortly after that, I've got orders to Oslo, Norway. And my job was, at this time, was working in American embassies. So my first uh, duty assignment was going to be the embassy in Oslo. And away we went. Um, Unfortunately, I went with the expectation, still driven performance. My military was performance. My marriage was performance. At that time, we had an eight-week-old daughter, and I still was performance-oriented. My Christian walk was, you know, read the Bible, go to church. uh, And that was my relationship. So, um, needless to say, when we got over there, uh, after three years, things had really um, progressed um, and declined in our relationship. I was all about performance, fast track, and I was offered a job with the United States Air Force Thunderbirds to go out to Las Vegas, set up air shows for the next three and a half years all over the world. Great for me, 
great promotion. Help me get the next step when you need it. Unfortunately, my wife was getting no help for me as a husband. Mm-hmm. My daughter was getting no help for me as a father mm-hmm. because God was, okay, God, I need for you to get me this next job. Okay, you got me this next job. Thank you, God, you answered my prayer, and then that was it. So we had to move on. That went over, and after the Thunderbirds, I needed more to fill my performance ego and my self-flesh of performance. Um, and even without Sue's engagement or either any discussion, I applied for another special duty assignment. This time it took me back to Florida, where I was working for a unit that monitors the new nuclear Trees PD, traveling again all the world. It got me another assignment. Um, this time I was assigned to go to the uh, American Embassy in uh, Ankara, Turkey, where I spent three years going through the Gulf War. At this time, my marriage was basically nothing more than a, a by title. There was no relationship there. Um, just really, um, you know, God for me was just, uh, I knew of God, I know about God. I read about God. We talk about God. We pray over our meals. But there was no relationship of any substance. Um, and, I, and I say that with all sincerity because I don't even like to say there wasn't, I had a relationship because it wasn't there. After the war, because I had done some extra duty assignments there in uh, the embassy, I was allowed to pick my next duty station. They offered me Helsinki, Finland, and Bern, Switzerland. Uh, and I took Bern, Switzerland was there was doing great we got on board we arrived there in july right after we got there on the first of july we found out my wife was expecting our fourth child uh, understanding that my wife and other three children were still seeing me as a performer and if i was performing great life was great if i'm not performing stay away you know um and so this period began where uh, I'm totally convinced God orchestrated this, but we ended up in Switzerland, and it was on October the 19th, of, uh, 1991. One of my jobs uh, as a, in the American Embassy was to foster relationships with other embassies from other countries, uh, build relationships and establish rapport and ability to share information. And my boss had told me that they were having a uh, Boy Scout international boy scout camp out up in the swiss alps and he said you're going and i said well uh i don't have a son he's only two years old he said you're you're going anyway so uh there's not much you do when your boss tells you you're going in the military i mean you don't have to go but you don't really want the consequences of that so Mm -hmm. we loaded up at that saturday morning and we headed out to um to switzerland to lucerne switzerland where the international boy scout camp is uh, the plan at this time was for um, the Boy Scouts from all the other em- embassies to hike up to the top of this mountain, earning their merit badges. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we got to the camp, it had started snowing extremely hard. It was getting cold. Decision was made that myself and the Marine Gunny Sergeant, who oversees the whole security detachment for the embassy, we would take the embassy's SUV, an Izu Trooper, loaded up with all these supplies and rations we would go to the top of the mountain turn on the heaters for all the cabins check the radios report back in and then have the boys and their fathers start walking up the mountain up the trails at that time we would be behind them in the vehicle if anybody got cold or had an injury we could put them in the suv 
and shuttle them up to the cabin quickly. Sound like a great plan. Uh, the Swiss on location told us that there was a, a trail that we could just drive up the trail and it would lead us to these cabins. What they didn't bother to tell us this trail wasn't much wider than about two people to walk behind one another. Um, so it wasn't what I would call a trail in America. But we started up there and um, it was just shortly after that ch- the, the sergeant and I knew we were going to have to make our own way. So we put it in four-wheel drive and we actually started cutting our own trail up the side of this mountain. It was getting colder. It was snowing hotter. The wind was blowing. Like I say, we're about halfway up the side of this mountain. And we started to make a left-hand turn uh, to go around these trees. I remember the sergeant railing, we're going over, we're going over. And that's the last I have. I have what's called post-stress uh, amnesia. So I don't remember anything. Matter of fact, what I just told you, I didn't remember to like six or seven years later that I woke up that with a dream. That being said is we flipped over backwards. I came completely out of the vehicle with the seatbelt. And uh, I rode down the side of the hill, the mountain, 542 feet. Mm. From the time I left the vehicle to where they dug me out of the snow was 542 feet. I had landed in a pile of boulders and I had snapped my neck. It broke at the C4, C5, and C6, wow. uh, along with uh, numerous compound fractures and lacerations. A miracle uh, of the first, this whole story, this accident, the first miracle is that the Marine Sergeant's seat broke loose, flipped him to the floor. The My seat, the back seat, and all the provisions that we had put in the car actually pinned him to the floor of the vehicle. So when it flipped end over end at least 12 to 14 times, he stayed in it acting like a uh, race car cage. It just kept him in there. He was he survived it, first miracle. He was able to, to crawl out of it on his hands and knees, went looking for me, found me laying in the snow, had enough uh, training to bury my compound fractures in snow, took his parka that he was wearing, made a lean tune over it just with a stick so I could breathe but protect me from the snow and crawled out to an open spot because when we didn't report back in uh, within a certain amount of time they began searching for us when they couldn't find us on foot they called in the Swiss Army search and rescue uh, they flew in the first helicopter they found uh, uh, Sergeant Henthorn uh, he said I did see him when he was somewhere on the side of the mountain he's alive and he passed out they made he flew him out they brought in a second helicopter from that point where they the helicopter finally found me it was four hours and i was completely buried in snow uh it was snowing so hard that this is the second miracle other than i was still alive the third miracle is that the pilot said i've got to call off the search we can't see the the visibility was zero at this point and there's no need to fly on instruments when you're looking for somebody by that time the embassy uh emergency response team had been uh, flown in to location and they convinced the Swiss Army to make one more pass and as they were making the pass in the area that were they were searching they saw a rise in the snow that should have actually been a flat terrain well the rise in snow was me where the snow had built up on me mm-hmm. so in the Swiss Army uh, in their training they carry a physician on their rescue team so the helicopter landed uh, they literally dug me out of the snow and to this day, they contribute because I was laying in the snow. I actually had hypothermia and clogulated and then bleed to death, which is another miracle. 
immediately got me on the helicopter after did still some did some field surgeries flew me to a little town on Lucerne they stabilized me but could do no more uh, beyond their abilities and they put me back on the helicopter and flew me down to uh, Bern Switzerland where I went to the University of Bern Hospital immediately started more surgeries uh, by this time my wife had been contacted and she was on location that began a real real change in my life where God at that point became more than just a knowledge mm-hmm. it really became a relationship because in a long period of time um, I knew something was wrong and even though I was unconscious I could I knew something was wrong and I could feel God was was telling me something but that happened in October uh, I woke up November the end of November I came to out of a um, sedation they kept me in and I was completely paralyzed from the neck down I was on a ventilator and couldn't talk couldn't speak I could click my my teeth I was thinking this this is not this is not the way I want to live mm-hmm. I said you know God this 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 is not going to work that went on for a few months and in March uh, my right index finger and my right big toe started moving uncontrollably and it was just it was a god thing because all medical evidence said i should have been a complete quadriplegic on a ventilator the rest of my life i actually still have a letter that the ambassador from turkey wrote to the secretary of the state department explaining the accident and giving him the results that uh sergeant weiss will be a quadriplegic for the rest of his life and i, and I still keep that letter just as a memory mm-hmm. to know god's power of prayer um but we we got through that part July of that 1992 so almost 10 months later I was discharged in a manual chair with my arms and the ability to talk God did a miraculous job in just healing me in those 10 months physically did I get back everything I wanted absolutely not uh, and I used when I share and I talk to the guys uh, and, and my story is that you know to me that's the thorn Paul has that it's always going to be there and I want it removed but he took enough because he gave me back stuff that one of my prayer requests was that when I knew my wife was carrying their fourth child I wanted to hold my daughter and that was what they took a family portrait of my wife and the three children and they pasted it up on top of the ceiling in the physical therapy room and so I would stare at that while I'm doing these pain-wrenching physical therapists because my arm was completely shattered so it took uh, them taking a fishing line with a washer on it with Velcro to my wrist, and then they would put it behind my back and head and let the gravity carry it down. You don't want to be with me, and, and I can't repeat the words yeah. that that happens during yeah. that process. Uh-huh. But it was just a, another opportunity that God was building for me to become dependent on Him because without Him, I didn't have the physical or the mental capability to do that. All right, and I wanted you to finish your story as far as what you just said about what happened and everything else. And you went to Switzerland, and what was your job to do? I was working in the American embassies uh, in the United States Air Force. I was assigned to the Defense Intelligence Agency. I was an intel analyst for the Department of Defense. To do what? Gather information uh, that was pertinent to military operations. And then you said to also develop relationships. Develop relationships. Um, 
In the embassy intelligence career field, we have what we call covert and overt operations. Mm -hmm. And the uh, overt was just embassy sharing, other countries sharing information with other countries. Right. Well, I just thought it was ironic. I wanted to bring this up, but I didn't catch it till, and I wanted you to finish your story, that here you are with a job to develop relationships. And then I'm thinking back of what you had with your your wife and, and the kids and all that, you know. It was kind of ironic. I got to tell you, Mike, that's uh, the first time I've ever thought of that, but it is kind of ironic, isn't it? That was my job, but couldn't do it very well um, inside the home or with, with God. Mm-hmm. So pretty neat. Uh, we, we get through this process um, where I just discharged from the hospital, and my relationship with God is really becoming um, a total dependency now because versus me needing him when I thought I needed him, I, for the first time in my life, realized performance is nothing. It's not about performance. And I realize right now with God, th- this is more of a relationship. This is a dependency on you 100% for for my physical needs, for my, mer- my mental needs, for my spiritual needs. Um, I cannot continue as a husband um, and a father um, based on performance because my performance has just been stripped away. Everything that I thought was important, you know, the physical and my mind, everything, that's all been stripped now. I, I rode out of a, of a hospital as a C4, C5, C6, incomplete quadriplegic. Um, I, I can't dress myself. I can't feed myself. My wife Somebody has to bathe me. Somebody has to feed me. Uh, so I became um, total dependent on somebody else uh, for my physical needs as well as my emotional needs, but more important, my spiritual needs. Mm-hmm. And that's where it took a big, big turn. Um, and I just pray, you know, and I always tell me, I just hope and prevent somebody that doesn't have to go through a tragic uh, circumstance in their life to realize that you cannot do it alone and while you think you may be successful and you've got it this all together you you, you don't and it, it was after I think you picked up a little bit during my earlier um, life before the accident my marriage was was um, was total just not there it wasn't existing it wasn't a marriage I mean I don't know how to it just was a it was two people living under I think, and soon I know today, back then, it was sheer commitment that I was raised Southern Baptist and she was raised in a, a Christian denomination in Indiana, both traditional type denominations, that it was you don't divorce. And we totally know that and we share that with other couples. It was that commitment that divorce is not an option, is the only reason we didn't divorce during those times prior to the accident. Um, since the accident, Things have changed dramatically. I'll start with my marriage. Um, through uh, pursuance of somebody at real life uh, wanting me to take marriage counseling, I'm, I don't need marriage counseling. My marriage is great. We're getting better. I've read books. Uh, but uh, this uh, gentleman by the name of John Zitmar, if you see him, you might want to run the other direction, uh, will pursue you. And I thank God he did pursue me because it was a miraculous healing to our marriage because for the first time ever, Two becoming one helped me to understand that my relationship with Christ is my marriage. As Christ loves the church, 
so I should love my wife. And, and that's huge because that's a relationship. And once I understood that and grasped that and developed that, your marriage will take it will be perfect never. But I would tell you for a fact, when you are Christ-centered first, your marriage will be a reflection of Christ. And that's the way it's supposed to be biblically and the way God designed it. And so when Sue found that out, I found that out, our marriage became an opportunity to help other marriages, which we do as many chances and many opportunities we get. We want to share our story that there is hope, but there is only one hope that you can have a marriage that's that's Christ-related and Christ-related relationship. My kids, we have shared our story with our kids uh, concerning our relationship, and we, we, we try to enlighten them that anything dependent other than Christ, if you depend on your flesh or somebody else, um, you're, you're going to set yourself up for failure. It's just um, the way the enemy wants to attack you. I believe holy and your daily your relationship will enhance and you will become so lifelike if you will spend time in the word daily whatever time of the day where you're a morning evening afternoon person spend time in the word daily reading it and not just reading it listening to what he's saying spend time in prayer and surround yourself with Christian brothers and sisters and families don't expect the world to give you that Information and be your resource for a God-centered relationship because it's not going to be there. So where you fall off a mountain and 542 feet or you're depressed about a job or, or whatever your circumstance situation is, is that your relationship with God through Jesus will carry you through it all. And I found out through this whole um, adventure of my life I really came to understand what happiness is and what joy is. And Christ never promised us happiness, no. but he promised joy. And when we talk about Romans eight twenty eight, uh, God is good in all things. God doesn't it doesn't say good in the good times or good only in these times. It says in all things. All things is just a matter of a definition to you. But happiness is an emotion or a feeling, which is good and, and I believe God wants that for us. But that's not his heart's desire. His heart's desire in our relationship is to experience true joy. And that joy can only come through your relationship with him. And you can't experience that if you don't have the relationship. Right. And I think, too, once you've experienced true joy, you... There's nothing else. Yeah, there happiness, is nothing else. Happiness is just another word. It's it's nothing. And you it will won't. do anything to to keep it. You would. You would. You won't want happiness when you will actually not desire happiness when you experience true joy. That's a good way to put it. Amen. Good way to put it. And as he was saying, when when one, let's say the husband puts God first in his life, all right, and then the wife, on the other hand, puts in her individual life God first, all right, everything secondary should fall into place. Preach it, brother. I got to give props to Mikey because he's been teaching this uh, power of a praying husband class being the single guy of the bunch yeah. with a with a lot of passion and and I'm really proud of him. I just want to bring it to uh, give him all the information that God has supplied me with in the past 7 years. It's all I want to do. And everybody needs to know it. 
from pray, powering a praying husband to uh, to uh, uh, the Wild at Heart boot camps and, and the Wild at Heart book. Uh, I mean, I think John Eldridge hit it right on the head with, all the way through that book. And then uh, the upside to adversity, the whole thing from one end to the other. Uh, I just feel I have all this information and I got to shout it from the rooftops. I noticed Ken uh, mentioned the uh, thorn in the flesh. And uh, although we we don't know what, what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but I believe uh, there's probably two or three things I could pinpoint in my life that are thorns in the flesh. And I I think they're there to the they're designed to keep you focused. I, I, I agree 100%. Which you're on your destiny. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yep. Absolutely. I, yep. I agree. I think they're, they're just a, a, for me personally, it's a, it's a personal reminder that I need to be dependent on him totally. And I just need that little stick or prick every now and then to remember where I came from what it could have been and where you're at and as paul said it i will boast all the more of my weaknesses with christ's strength and power in me yeah and that's so true mike because it's through that strength through that weakness and through his strength that you can show with your thorn it's a testimony we don't look at it as a thorn as pain but we look at it as a thorn as strength I know because you could be really easily looking through your, the eyes of your flesh and you could become depressed and that's when you know that when you when you turn your eyes to Jesus that and you're and you're totally codependent on him and that's where that joy comes from oh, yes, it does. where that joy and and, and even in your circ, your circumstance can and you're touching lives I mean, and the two B one classes and the the marriage classes, and well, even at the VA, I'm sure too. Yeah, I, I was just uh, I mentioned just trying to get here today on the VA. I'm, I'm I'm awaiting three surgeries, and I quit counting them now. Uh, but you know, I used to be uh, a lot of anxiety. Uh, I uh, I'm labeled as a bad patient, <laughs> um, but I'm I'm going in this next one May the twenty first with a joy because the surgery one is going to fix the pain. That's enough joy. Mm-hmm. But just the opportunity, because people see it different, and they're like, you're enjoying a surgery? That's not normal. But when I explain to them, my joy is that, you know, this body is temporary. So you put me back together in 1991 for 10 months, and it's falling apart again. So either put it back together. But either way, it's temporary, and my joy is knowing it's temporary. Mm-hmm. Well, you could you, you could come at him just like Paul did and said, you know, I'd, I'd rather go, but uh, I'm going to stay here because it's better for you. It's better for you, and I got some work to do. So yeah. put me back together, and mm-hmm. and uh, I'll stay as long as the Lord wants me That's to. Right. Yeah, I just remember I'm first in line. <laughs> Amen. So when you go to heaven, you're going to be walking and jumping, and what would, what would you want to do? What would you say you want to do when you go to heaven? Dance, run, jump, what? probably do what i'm doing now is jumping out of airplanes i like to skydive and snow ski so anything with speed uh, which is pretty uh, obvious yeah. of course <laughs> here's a guy with a uh, souped up uh, wheelchair right turbocharged wheelchair <laughs> now they say it hurts when you hit the toes but i haven't found that out yet so oh. i'll just leave it up to you guys <laughs> 
So as he came in, uh, Ken had also mentioned that his, uh, and this is going to be put out there, she's going to hear it. Uh, he mentioned that uh, Sue, his wife, has a, a pretty good testimony behind That's his. That's what I hear. So uh, we're going to call her out. Uh, I, I I hope you do, and you can use my name. Just make sure I'm well, out of time. We're going to call her out, and I'm sure she's going to listen to this. So uh, yeah. when you hear this, Sue, uh, call us for some time in June. Just think of me on that United States poster. We want you. (laughs) Honey, it's a big check. (laughs) Man, what a great session. Absolutely. That was good. Ken, I can't thank you enough for coming by. And man, the devil's tried to thwart this so many times Yep, with everything that's gone on today. And and, he's not uh, the first one, but it is. As messed up as I was in the head about this afternoon, I thought, I'm not Mm -hmm. canceling nothing. And then Trish and then so on and so forth. Yeah. Ken himself and then you and then Trish. It's just crazy. It's done. But uh, the Lord always always brings them, and those someones. We'll hear. We'll hear. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again, Ken, and we're looking forward to having Sue. Thank you very much on the program. Appreciate it very Thank you, soon. Um, if you have any uh, questions for Ken, you know, drop us a line at God Stories Radio at Gmail. Uh, his testimony will be posted probably by Saturday, um, so uh, you can hear it on GodStoriesRadio dot com, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Uh, man, we, we've just been so blessed with so many venues. I I don't even I can't remember them. I can't all. Either. It's just amazing. So uh, tweet us. <laughs> yeah, you can tweet us and like us on Facebook and all that social media stuff. I'm trying to hire my daughter to handle all that because you got enough going on. I'm an idiot. Just call me. Okay. <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for session 38. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. God bless. God bless. I can feel it. Somebody's praying for me. Mighty hands are guiding me to protect me from what I can't see. Lord, I believe, Lord, I believe, somebody's praying for me. Caverns 
Where no light had ever shone Still I went on Cause there was someone Who was down on their knees And Lord I thank you for those people Praying all this time For me Somebody's praying I can feel it Somebody's praying For me Mighty hands are guiding me To protect me from what I can't see Lord, I believe Lord, I believe Somebody's praying for me